Testing, testing, one, two, three. Welcome back to Spill and Diz Tea. I'm Sakura. And I'm Brayden. And today we're talking queer, queer baiting, baiting and, and queer coding, coding in Disney. Disney. Stay tuned as we bring you Disney versus Diversity Part 2. Hey everyone, welcome to Spillin' Dis Tea, the podcast where we sip and spill on all things Disney. If this is your first time listening to us, welcome, grab yourself a cup of tea, and get ready to dive into the wonderful world of Disney. Awesome. So, I'm really excited for today's episode. We're really diving in into some real stuff. Yeah. We like to use these episodes to kind of just like test if these like big media giants are actually using their platforms to say the things that they're trying to say or the things that we need them to say. Um, heading into this one now, it'll be really interesting to kind of see what we've pulled from this and, you know, what it is moving forward. Yeah, I'm excited and especially to see the history is always interesting to me, but it's interesting for me to see the evolution of, you know, where Disney's been and where they are now and, and where they're going. So yeah, it's exciting, especially getting into kind of like the newer films when we talk about them later. Cool. Well, before we start talking all things Disney, as we promised, we'll get there. Why don't we give like a quick little update on what's been going on in our lives? So like we're in November. Oh my goodness. I can't believe like less than two months out from the end of the year. Yeah, it's insane. And less than two months out from two years of Spill and Diz Tea Madness. Yeah. Hopefully we got like a cool little thing happening around then. Maybe another giveaway. Oh, I'd be down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea to do. I'm really excited because November means we're kind of, we're getting into holiday season slowly. um, But we're also getting into, you know, like the really good movie going season. And then the other thing that occurred to me is like 2022 is not that far away. Like at all. It sounds so far away, but it's literally like right around the corner. And it's, it's so weird to think that, like, 2019 was our last functioning year. Yeah. You know? And then now we're, like, approaching 2022. Well, even, like, being able now to, to go see these films that are coming out in theaters yeah. is a huge improvement. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I hope it continues in that trajectory. Yeah. I really hope so. Oh, man, this world that we are living in sure has changed we're honestly kind of like a pandemic podcast because i think like we were at like episode six or seven when the pandemic started yeah and now we're hitting 30 so cute (laughs) (laughs) i don't know there really aren't any takeaways from that it was just just an observation just, just observation yeah yeah so now let's get into some tea time. Let's spill some Disney news, Disney tea, see what's going on in the world of Disney. We haven't done this in a bit. So I think there's like a quite a few things happening right yeah. now that we can kind of talk about. Let's dive right in. Let's do it. So first up, we got our first look at Pixar's Lightyear, which is coming out next summer, 2022. This is like the Buzz Lightyear origin story, although it's more so supposed to be the character that the Buzz Lightyear toy is based off of that we know in the films, voiced by Tim Allen. And this take is going to be played by Chris Evans. So what are your thoughts on the trailer that we saw, the the, the first teaser? 
Okay, let me give you just like my overall thoughts on Lightyear in general. Okay. So before I was kind of unsure about how I felt about it, like coming into fruition. But now I understand like kind of its place. Did anybody ask for this? Not particularly, but I think it's gonna be good. So we're just gonna have to take it and just ingest it. Mm -hmm. You know, cause like from essentially what I'm getting from this is this is like you said, the Buzz Lightyear origin story that is based off of the story or based off of the toy of the Woody and Buzz that we know. I don't know. I don't think I ever once watched Toy Story and was ever once like, oh, like I wish I was sitting there with Andy, like watching Lightyear. You know, I don't think that desire ever came up. I don't know if anyone ever told me that. They also <laughs> shared that desire. Well, never really occurred to me that he was like a film character, I guess. Like I know there was that TV show and the video game and stuff and there were like all the toys, but I was never like, oh, like I wonder what his story is. Like I was kind of like, okay, there's him, there's Zerg. There's little green aliens, you know, you kind of like piece it together and they like imitate Star Wars, which by the way, the Lightyear trailer is giving like Star Wars vibes, like with um, when they're on like that swamp like planet. Yeah. And with like the thing with like the tendril or whatever, the tentacle that like whatever. Yeah. No, I'm super curious to see like how the whole thing pans out because like I said, I don't think it'll be bad. I think it'll be good. Yeah. I think For, it's just, like at least what it is. Honestly, like Pixar is holding on a Toy Story so hard. They just I mean it's their baby. It is. You know? It is. T- Toy Story will never die. It's it's I mean Forky's gonna get his own franchise. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Forky's fine in small doses for me. <laughs> um i think honestly like toy story like love it and i think they got for me personally they got lucky with toy story 4 because i was convinced i wasn't gonna like it and ended up liking it quite a bit um and like i I definitely think it's it's hard to kind of like put it up with the other three It, it doesn't really quite like stand the same ground as them but it's still good yeah i just going forward i'd i'd rather see you know like short films or or things like that you know to kind of like revive the franchise as opposed to yeah feature films and this is an interesting way to do it it's just it's so jarring because you're so used to a character looking a certain way and, and sounding it's a certain so way. weird like the memes of buzz lightyear looking like drake like them <laughs> photoshopping the little heart in the buzz lightyear's head i literally can't yeah <laughs> i literally can't but it'll be interesting to see like it's a new way to see buzz you ain't never seen Buzz look like this before. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Chris Evans. And God everyone loves Chris Evans. Everything Chris Evans does, I'll take it. Yeah. I'm a fan. Next up, Eternals is the next Marvel movie that is about to be released. By the time this comes out, it'll be released. But for us, um, it hasn't released yet. But it has premiered and there's been showings. And, you know, it's got its Rotten Tomatoes score of... A solid 57%. Yeah, let's has, see. Let's see where it's at exactly in. right now. 53%. 51%. Yeah, they came in hot with their 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think that's interesting. Um, I think a lot of the general public hasn't had access to the movies yet. So we'll see once like everyone has got a chance to like, go to theaters, check it out. We get more opinions from 
us the people that matter mm-hmm. and we're gonna see it this weekend too so by our next episode we can give you guys our actual thoughts on the film yeah yeah i'm definitely not like discounting it i think it's just so unexpected because marvel's usually in the fresh um and even like they're like quote-unquote like bad movies are usually like in like the 70s like maybe like yeah. super high 60s you know um so yeah it, it's interesting but i mean not enough data <laughs> yeah you know like there, there's movies i've enjoyed that are not enjoyed by critics and probably vice versa whatever but i'll go into it with an open mind um i already know like spoiler like stuff for like end credit scenes but i hope that doesn't like ruin the experience for me but yeah, I'm expecting it to be different too. I feel like a lot of the criticisms I've seen have been people saying like, oh, it's so different from the MCU. Um, and I'm like, okay, but is that really a bad thing? I withstand judgment until I watch the film. We'll see kind of like what what these new set of characters have to add to the new phase of the MCU. So will be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, next up, another film has had its premiere. Pretty early, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Encanto. So, Encanto premiered at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood. And this is Disney's 60th feature film. So, super exciting. As you guys know, we've been hyping this film up basically since we heard about it. Because mm-hmm. Lynn manuel Miranda, musical, Disney. Anything he puts his hands on turns to gold. It's just perfect. Yeah. And, like, everything we've seen from this movie is just beautiful. So... Um, we're super excited for it um, as the marketing kind of ramps up for the premiere of it on uh, the at the end of the month. We got some sneak peeks of the music. Um, we got a little sneak peek of the song, The Family Madrigal. Oh my god, it's a bop. It's so good. It's like, it's still kind of in my head and I'm like jamming to it. Like, I can't wait. Like, we only got to see like the first minute of it and it's really just Mirabelle giving like, what am I, what I'm assuming is like the first verse or like the first mm-hmm. bit of the song. But I'm just like, oh, by the end, I know it's probably going to be like more just like chorus from like people in the village and just like so much just colors, like already the colors and the scheme and just everything looks so beautiful so i'm just so excited like we're getting nine songs from this musical so i'm just really intrigued to see just like all the colombian influence that we get cooked up into a beautiful musical i'm excited um it gives me bell vibes just the mm-hmm. way that it's like a song of the village the way and it's like, kind of like set up and structured yeah yeah and like weaving in and through like dialogue and stuff like that yeah um, i'm excited and the early reviews are very positive so gives me high hopes that's what i like to hear that's what i like to hear too yeah that's good another disney classic i'll take it i'll take it i'll take it <laughs> all right uh next up so we've got some new disney casting mm-hmm. um also for the new Snow White movie that's coming out, um, we've got Gal Gadot casted as the evil queen. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do we feel about that, Brayden? I don't know, honestly. Like, I know. I, I don't know how to feel. Like, do yeah. we like Gal Gadot right now? I don't know. I know that there was some problematic stuff happening with her at one point, and then I also heard that Wonder Woman two was shit. And yeah, I also I heard that too. <laughs> like, I don't really know what's going on though. Like, I can't remember the timeline of when these things were happening. I don't know if she's ever redeemed herself at any point. <laughs> like, I really don't know where she stands. So I don't know if this is exciting news or not. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, honestly, to be honest, 
when I saw Wonder Woman for the first time, like I enjoyed her in the role. Um, so she could she could very well. I haven't really seen anything else she's in, so I can't really judge that hard. I think I was just surprised. Yeah. I heard rumors that it was Lady Gaga, but Lady Glo- like every <laughs> time Disney makes a live action movie, Lady Gaga is floated around to play the villain. Like they did it for Little Mermaid. They were like Lady Gaga's going to be Ursula. And that what? didn't happen. And then for this they were like Lady Gaga is like going to be the evil queen. They who are they? I'm I can't <laughs> tell you, but I read in those sources. I I've, I've read the sources. Yes. That's all you need to know. I'm pretty intrigued to see how this goes, though, because it's going to be quite, kind of more of, like, a faithful adaptation to the film. But it's still going to be, obviously, like, for a 2023, whenever this comes out, audience. Yeah. Um, and then it's Rachel Zegler. Ziegler. Rachel Ziegler as uh, Snow White, which I'm pretty excited for. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what comes with the film there isn't any other castings from it right now or is there no we just have the songwriters which are the same songwriters that did um the greatest showman oh cool yeah cool cool prove me wrong gal prove me wrong prove me wrong okay mm-hmm. our next story is that hocus pocus 2 has officially started filming um we knew that this was coming out for quite a while but they released a little uh, visual on the socials on October 31st, Halloween. Um, and yeah, they're officially filming it while uh, gotta get the spooky season vibes in, so. I don't know, I kinda wish, I was saying this to Brayden earlier, but I kinda wish that they did um, a little bit more of this marketing of it earlier in October. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, to add to the spooky season, I feel like this spooky season was like, no, it wasn't bad, but it was slacking just a little bit. And there could have just been, like, a little bit more content out there. And just, like, just the fact that I'm seeing, like, on November 4th that <laughs> Hocus Pocus 2 is coming. I'm like, oh, like, aren't we gearing up for, like, Elf 2? <laughs> yeah. Or, like, Home Alone again? Or, like, whatever is coming out or whatever? So Are we gearing up for that Home Alone? Are we here? That's tea to come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to see this, though, because... The original witches are all back. Yeah, is it going to take place like in modern day? I believe so. That's cool. Yeah. And it's going to be a musical. Which I heard someone say the original was a musical. It's not. They Don't they have like one song? There's that, one song. Like Bette Midler's like, this. I'm singing. And they're like, bet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, literally, bet. <laughs> um, and kind of for our last point, staying with the witches theme, we're jumping over from Salem to the world of Oz. I don't know if this is really Disney, but we're going to talk about it anyways because it's up the land of musicals and fun and just kind of all the same characters and actors that all just work with Disney anyway. So Wicked is getting its own movie and we've got some casting. Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba and Ariana Grande playing Goodwitch Glinda? How did Ariana snag that role? Right? I'm kind of shook. I don't know if I'm surprised. I kind of think that she's taking a break from music right now. And she's doing just like TV film, Broadway, probably. Yeah. I think she's kind of like expanding her repertoire as an artist. Yeah. Which is awesome. I think it's it's really cool to see her expanding 
um, more into film and taking that seriously because she did start out on Broadway. So um, it's right up her alley. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Even like seeing her on The Voice is really cool. Like that's really kind of like out of something that she's done before. So yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's like seeing her as like a personality and like doing more than just making bops. Yeah. Even though they're they're bops. <laughs> Even though that like capital B O P. Can't stress this enough. They are bops. Yeah. <laughs> I was just shocked because for some reason I didn't my mind that like Ariana would go for Alphaba. Or that like she was she was she would like you know what I mean? I just for some reason I saw Ariana as Alphaba. But I can see her like now that I kinda like see it, I'm like, yeah, I can I'm sure that Cynthia Revo is gonna do an amazing job as Alphaba, but I just uh yeah. I don't know why. So it's going to be directed by John M. Chu. And he's the guy that directed Crazy Rich Asians, which I think the film was just beautiful. It was directed so awesomely. So, so I good. think this is going to come out really cool. I think just seeing all of these musicals being remade. I don't know. Like the remakes that everyone's doing right now. Like, I guess it's just we're going to have to get used to this. But out of everything and all the categories of films and things that are being remade like i'm loving what the musicals are coming out with because they're really just so like we're either getting like musicals that we've never had being made on film before or we're getting remakes of like super super old ones like so amped for west side story i think that's going to be phenomenal when it comes out i feel like wicked's going to look super awesome i've always wanted a wicked film so i'm really excited for this it's gonna be really really cool like i need to, i need to rent remake where is my well i don't even know if rent needs a remake right now but i would still eat it up you think they do one i don't know because rent still feels kind of current like the rent movie it doesn't really need a remake at least not yet i don't know it still feels current unless they got the original cast i don't really want to see it it's it's one of those you know like i'm not attached to the original cast of west side story yeah So jumping right into our steep of the day, I want to kind of put this all into context um, and kind of show how some of these practices came to be um, in film and media. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about the Hayes Code. So the Hayes Code, it was a self-imposed industry set of guidelines for all motion pictures that were released between 1934 and 1968. The code prohibited profanity, suggestive nudity, graphic or realistic violence, sexual persuasions, and rape. So I guess it was made with good intent, but there are a lot of underlying discriminations that came with it. So it censored anything that was seen as like sinful, gross, um, crimeful. So at this point, that would be no homosexual relationships whatsoever. They needed to follow these guidelines. Movies need to follow these guidelines in order to gain like funding so they could like distribute these films. So if your film didn't like, wasn't following the production code, then you wouldn't be eligible potentially for the funding that your film needs. And then this is, it's, this is what led a lot of filmmakers to kind of create sneaky ways of sneaking in queer representation into film. So that's kind of where you see um, the beginning of queer coding um, in characters. So you see kind of more like effeminate male characters. Um, and this kind of like starts to take form in these, in these ways that would go over an, an audience's head at the time. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like where all of this came to be. 
And you said this was when? At what point in time? In in what years? This was this was 1930s to the 1960s, almost the 1970s. Even like the 30s to the to like the almost 70s, that was like a very prominent time in in television history and like setting standards for how things were going forward. Yeah. So this code was definitely very powerful in like what it set up for modern day Hollywood and what now directors are having to do to, like you said, sneak in uh, queer representation with queer coding, queer baiting, or being seen as breaking barriers for giving representation. Mm -hmm. So it's just so weird to see that this is really where it's all come from. I do think as well, like, um, like you were saying that, like, you know, the, the mid thirties to the seventies almost crucial times for television and media. And, and like you were saying, this is like setting kind of a standard of what audiences would see as like acceptable. Um, and like, like media has a huge impact on society at large so when you know television started coming into people's homes and when cinema really took off yeah it was important and and seeing like a lack of queer representation would definitely alienate it for sure so i can i I can definitely see kind of like the the stepping stones to to where we are well um it's kind of like the steep is like a real quick steep. It's like yeah, nice little minute steep. Yeah, but you don't have to it, steep this one. You, we get right into it. You exactly, know? it was like that the the pre made tea from from Timmy's. But <laughs> great analogy. <laughs> but it it's a nice tie over to like really bring us to the main discussion now um, with queer baiting, queer coding, and and how that kind of evolved and started off with Disney. So if we start off with queer coding, um, the definition of it is the subtextual coding of a character in media is queer. Though such characters' sexual identity may not be explicitly confirmed with their respective work, a character might be coded as queer through the use of traits and stereotypes recognizable to the audience. So a lot of characters that we see them with, usually speaking, they are our villain characters. Mm -hmm. A lot of classics, Ursula, Captain Hook, Hades. We're going to kind of go through each of them and like kind of, you know, depict and and talk about these different like features that they're talking about. But essentially, it's a lot of the design features that the artists have put into these villains of kind of in a way given the villains a certain look and just an overall just like a character base i guess of this of this queer coded character you look back at these characters and yeah like in both male and female characters um but especially like the male characters i feel like they stand out the most to me because they're given these very like effeminate qualities that are supposed to be seen as negative um and they they twist it and put it in like a bad light obviously um and yeah like they're they're villains so like we're you know what i mean it's it's and also I, 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 the villains the villainous characters i feel like there's a reason why so many people in the lgbtq plus community love the disney villains because that's where like that's the, where the representation is that yeah like they're they're and especially like like with like drag queens and and you know like all sorts of they they cater to a whole 
audience. Yeah. So you can definitely see the appeal there for sure. One of the 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 the, the traits I think is most problematic is the, is the fact that yes they're villains but it's it's they're predatory yeah <laughs> because they're usually preying upon like young younger characters. the younger lead and they're usually a lot older and like like supposedly like a parental or guidance figure upon them mm-hmm. so it always just makes it so much creepier you know yeah and visually too um we'll get into it but like um, we'll get into like what it with the individual characters, but you know your your heroes are are, are muscular and tall and and whatever, and then your villains are like lanky and like you know or overweight, yeah. and it's just like it's it's a very interesting visual representation as well. Yeah. So let's talk Ursula. Yeah, let's talk about Ursula. So Ursula was like kind of one of the most prevalent examples of seeing queer coding in Disney. Um, so Ursula is actually based off of a famous drag queen. Divine. Divine. Yeah, kind of like what you were saying, like you see, you're introduced to, you know, the first couple of like female characters and the Little Mermaid and you have like Ariel and, you know, yeah, she's a fish too, but she's beautiful and she's like, you know, thin and she has a a pretty coconut bra, coconut pretty shell bra and all her sisters look the same and all that jazz and then we are the the next female that we're introduced to which is a villain is overweight she is overly dramatic she has like crazy makeup deep voice um, a deep voice she has a lot more masculine qualities to her as well and it's just it's interesting just how these things are just like like ingrained in us like from you know what i mean like i think a lot of us knew ursula before we ever saw a drag queen and you associate that as being like scary and like bad and then like you know it's like it's not like it's just like this like really like dramatic way of like dressing up and stuff like that and like some people do it like really amazingly exactly but yeah and it's also super interesting that it it, it kind of goes more into the line of gender norms i guess but the, the fact that it's the effeminate quality for like the male villains and then it's the masculine qualities um for most of the female villains yeah um or they lack like whatever is like quote unquote like supposed to be feminine exactly yeah so then i guess like in the opposite if you're looking at a male villain captain hook is also he has chasing after like this like young young, kid young boy (laughs) yeah yeah the way that we've grown up disney is so so ingrained in our brains it's such like a vital part of our building blocks of growing up not just us a lot of kids our age mm-hmm. um and in general and then and if this and if you know we're seeing these movies all the time and we're picking out these same qualities that we're consistently seeing in these villains and that is subliminally and psychologically changing our or channeling making our brain like view people a certain way and then mm-hmm. think certain things and that's awful <laughs> yeah it's 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 crazy when you think about it like, yeah it's, it's, it's kind of twisted yeah um and like obviously we love the walt disney company like we're huge disney fans but we still like there's there's you know you can still see issues and there's always room to improve and yeah. You know, it's the company has been around for almost 100 years at this point. Um, so there's bound to be some problematic history in there. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. But yeah, Captain Hook is 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 just, 
yeah, another another interesting case. And he's also like very cowardish, cowardish, cowardly. He's very cowardly, um, which is another thing that they add to these characters. So it's just like it's. Yep, that's true. I don't really have much to say. I about didn't him. really realize that, but that is true. Oh, I'm excited about this one. Okay, Radigan from the Great okay. Mouse Detective. So Radigan, he was voiced by Vincent Price. And it's the way they have them, like, interacting with Basil. I'm watching this, and I'm like, they dated, I swear. Like, they they have some history going on. <laughs> he's, like, like gra- he's like grabbing his chin, and he's, like, giving him, like, kissy faces. Yeah. And it's, like, there's something went down, and Radigan's getting revenge. <laughs> like, it's personal. Like, he does not just want to rule mouse dumb. There's, like, a vendetta in here. Yeah. And, yeah, again, he's super, like... He has all the jewels and he's super yeah. flamboyant and and accentuates everything and even down to like the the vocabulary and the way some of these villains talk. It's um, yeah. exactly Gaston. Gaston. Gaston's Gaston, an interesting one. Gaston has a whole love interest that's not Belle <laughs> in the, the movie. That is so subliminal. When you go back and watch Beauty and the Beast, like Gaston LeFou's little situationship is so there. It's so apparent. That is definitely... It's more apparent in the original than it is in the remake. (laughs) The remake was just forced. Yeah. You know? But that on its own kind of gives air and contextual, like that's where Disney wants to play with that idea of of adding queer representation into their films. I feel like Gaston's an interesting case because this is the first, like, Disney princess film where the villain isn't a woman. Isn't ugly. And isn't ugly. Yeah, like, that. this is uh, supposed to be seen as, like, the most handsome man in the village. Yeah. And he's also, like, he's after Belle, you know? He doesn't really he doesn't really interact with the beast except when he's trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't really have any, like, flirtatious, quote-unquote flirtatious, like, interactions with the beast. Yeah. But yeah, it's still, like... The, Imagine the, if you got a load of Adam when he came back as a human. Right? <laughs> But then, of course, like, it, you know, he's seen, you know, he's he's always looking in the mirror and he's fixing his hair and he's yeah. looking at his teeth and yeah. Like kind of like what we were saying before, like with villains usually being more overweight and more lanky, it's like he is the, the fittest guy in town and mm-hmm. he can do everything. Like he's supposed to be like literally Superman, like his his hair is gelled back and, you know, he might have a sock in his, I mean, he might have a hole in his sock, but apparently we're supposed to overlook that. <laughs> Totally forgot about that. <laughs> I have that image ingrained in my brain. Like the muddy boots on <laughs> the The muddy table. boots yeah. on the book. Oh, yeah. Particularly is what really irked me. But anyways, he's like, it's funny because even though like Beauty and the Beast, like it's it, it has its moments. Like it's a good movie because mm-hmm. like he on the outside, he's supposed to be like the most beautiful man. But it's like through his personality, that's kind of like what gave him his villainous qualities and then that's where they kind of threw in those queer attributes too like through his personality mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily through his through his aesthetic but you could still pick up on it through his character yeah yeah absolutely i'll, I'll be interested to see what they do with the mini series that's coming out based on the the remake i'm excited yeah genuinely i mean like just, just because i don't know what they're gonna do with it because it's gonna be a prequel yeah, I it didn't has ask to for be. It. Is it going to be about dead? Unless he's a ghost. I definitely didn't ask for that. Or if it's dead. <laughs> is it? But the thing is, like, are they going to give us LeFou and Gaston's like 
history? Like, do they have a history together? Or are they just going to, like, queer bait us again? And it's just going to be LeFou, like, wanting to be with Gaston? What I'm thinking is, so it's gonna probably going to be, like, a bestie show, you know? Uh, and I'm thinking that it's going to, like, show, like, how they met. And we're going to just kind of, like, see them on the come up together. I think LeFou's going to have, like, a boyfriend. I think LeFou... Actually, wait, we should talk about this later when we get into, like, current Disney. Okay. Okay, LeFou... Okay, we're going to revisit this. Okay. Put a pin in it. <laughs> Jafar. Another example, going back to OG formula of a creepy old man just, like, literally lusting over this 15-year-old girl. Like, mm-hmm. that whole scene at the end of the film is just still an issue in my books. But... You know, anyways, Jafar also very much physically holds all the attributes. Very overdramatic. He's got he's got his staff and just the way that he moves and his you know like itty bitty legs under his like, yeah his dress. Very lanky, lanky, lanky man. <laughs> well, Jafar's a, an interesting case as well because he's voiced by Jonathan Freeman who is an openly gay actor, Jafar and Scar. So Jafar and Scar were also both animated by Andres Deja, which is, he was also an openly gay man. Um, so it's it's part of that as well, because the, the actors, the, the animators are the actors with their pencils. Um, so I can definitely see like, you know, s- certain movements being incorporated potentially. Yeah. But it's interesting. I feel like Jafar and Scar kind of have like a similar vibe to them. If that they makes do sense. for sure. They even kind of like look similar mm-hmm. I, like in their, their, their features and their, their facial features and the, the way that their angles, yeah. you know, differentiate them from the main characters. I think he did Gaston as well, actually. <laughs> Let me double check. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Not him being the villain animator. <laughs> Yeah, he did Gaston as well. Wow. So that's three. Um, Range. Right? <laughs> and then another one I had listed here was Ratcliffe from Pocahontas. Oh, we when he hate comes- Ratcliffe. Yeah. Ratcliffe and Wiggins, his side his sidekick Wiggins. Oh my goodness. Or his side chick Wiggins. Ooh. Ooh. You know they're voiced by the same person? Really? Yeah. Range. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, similarly, Ratcliffe kind of fits the bill, takes on the same uh, feminine qualities. And yeah, you know what? We never really mentioned this, but they all lack a physical strength. Either their strength, a lot of, well, except for Gaston being that, the, the, the real exception, the real exception, the real like outlier or the one that's kind of like a hidden, a hidden representation. But a lot of the time, like they have to rely on like, power or coming from something else or they're they're seeking this source of power to make them stronger mm-hmm. and hades as well i feel like can fit the bill mm-hmm. in a certain way he's a lot more hades is a lot more like he, he's more like business salesman than anything but he's like you know like babe and like stuff like stuff like that so yeah i can definitely see that I also wanted to mention Howard Ashman throughout like the early Renaissance, really the movies with his handprint are uh, The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. Um, and Howard Ashman was an openly gay man and he passed away in 1991 before Beauty and the Beast came out. He passed away from AIDS. Um, he put a lot of himself, he was a songwriter um, for both films. He was a lyricist, Al Mankin was the composer. And he put a lot of his experience into both um, Ariel's story and both the beat and the beast story as well. 
um and and watching it as a queer person i feel like i really like can see it like ariel's longing to be a part of something that she has never that that she can't be with you know like want, wanting to be with someone you can't be with um and then and then the beast like with his his conflict like within there's a quote at the end of beauty and the beast that says to howard ashman who gave a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul and i think that's super prominent um and to me, that's, like, representation. And I kind of, like, look back when I was, like, a kid and I was, like, watching Little Mermaid and I was, like, really, like, you know, like, like relating to it and that, that sense of, like, that yearning that, like, Ariel had. And kind of looking back now, I'm like, oh, like, it makes a lot of sense, especially mm-hmm. with, like, a song like Part of Your World. It's, it's really interesting, like, when you kind of, like, look at where these films and stories are coming from because now like when you look back at these films it's like wow it's so prominent that these the film and the the music and the songs are coming from experiences and stories of gay men Mm -hmm. and it's like it's now just it makes so much sense you know and it's just so much it's so much nicer to see that you know there is that representation in that way you know it's a lot better than a villainous you know yeah this is where we start to blur the lines a little bit yeah this is where the crossover comes i think where we kind of go a little bit more away from queer coding into queer baiting i mean Mm -hmm. like obviously these examples are not queer baiting because it was never explicitly baited as queer but yeah it's like it's like representation in a in a better light i think and it it, it, i i think as well another example i'd say is mulan for sure Mulan and Shang. I feel like that was there's definitely like subtext in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely the first to really challenge gender norms and you know what it means to be a princess, what it means to be I don't know, just just everything that comes with it because we really only see Mulan in her princess-esque attire for like a second of the movie mm-hmm. and then you know immediately like she she even cuts all of her hair off and and we don't see her with long hair anymore you know and i remember just thinking like every other princess has long hair mm-hmm. and and now she does not only that it's in a bun the whole time and she's with men the entire time she does not interact with any other women for the rest of the movie yet it's still had the ability to to pull in little girls the exact same way that was really like the first example of showing that like we don't have to like stick to these cookie cutter placements that existed in the 30s yeah it really blur it really like it tackled gender norms and and i think especially with having like the relationship with mulan and shang i know they didn't really yeah, go into it at all it, but, it but it's did there really make you know? it something to think about you know mm-hmm. because it's like there's a relationship that's building but you know, we're supposed to be seeing Mulan as a man right now, mm-hmm. you know? They did a little something there. Yeah, Mulan's totally bi. Super duper. Right? Well, is Mulan bi or is Lee bi? Lee bi, sorry, Lee Shang bi. <laughs> Maybe. I, I feel think, like both, I probably. think that's what it is. I mean, she could be, but we don't see her interact with women ever. I mean, that's true, eh? Shang is for sure. Shouldn't it be Shang? I'm not a, an expert, but... I feel like it should be Shang, not Shang. This dude watches Shang Chi once. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just and assuming. He knows what's up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not pronouncing it right. It's not Shang either, but that's my English dialect doing the best it can. Well, 
If anyone knows the correct pronunciation, if Disney got it wrong, let us know. Yeah. Love to hear from We'd you. We'd love to know. So now let's get into like this juicy part of the conversation, which is where we get into queer baiting. Mm-hmm. So queer baiting um, is a marketing technique for fiction and entertainment in which creators hint at but do not explicitly show same-sex or LGBTQIA plus representation. So this is super prominent, especially in television, but we're sticking to feature films for this discussion today. Let's get into some of our examples yeah. of queer coding because I feel like first- Queer baiting. Hmm? Of queer baiting. Queer baiting, sorry. First, do we start with Elsa? I feel like we have to start with Elsa in Frozen 1 and kind of let it go a little bit. <laughs> so Elsa, obviously, let it go is huge. Meant a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. And everyone after Frozen came out since Elsa didn't have a prince or a princess. They were like, well, maybe she's a lesbian. And is Elsa mm-hmm. going to be gay in Frozen 2? And that was a huge thing. That was a huge thing. And I feel like the fact that so many people felt connected to Frozen in a way to not not even just create a theory, but like this is fact, this is canon, like, oh, this makes sense. Now I understand why she doesn't have a prince because she's gay. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, I love that. And it but, was also uh, her whole, like, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry, go, yeah. No, it was also her whole arc, too, like, having this power that was seen as, like, she was a monster and people, like, shamed her for it. Um, yeah. And then, and hiding it and, like, you know, hiding then, it for her entire youth. Exactly. And then letting it out and like letting love be the answer. Yeah, it was it was definitely there for sure. Yeah. A lot of people latched on to Elsa because of the message, I think. And especially a lot of LGBTQIA plus members um really resonated with her. Yeah. And it was a petition. And there were other petitions. There was Captain America and Bucky make Captain America gay. There was, I think there was a petition for Finn and Poe Dameron in the Star Wars, the sequels trilogy. Even leading up to Frozen 2, the marketing, it was, everyone was like, who's this girl in the trailer? Is that her girlfriend? Like, yeah, exactly. we were expecting it. That's what everyone was expecting. Like the, the big lead up and what the big, ta- not the big takeaway, but like one of the big takeaways was like, Elsa is gay. That's just what it is. And when Frozen 2 is coming out, it's like, okay, Disney, what are you going to give me? That's like the big thing. Like what, what is, what are you going to do with Elsa? Is she, are you like, now is your time to speak up and answer because we have been barking at you for years now. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they create Honey Marin. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we feel about Honey Marin? Um, well, like before the movie came out, she was like my favorite character. I was like, yo, Honey Marin and Elsa, it's gonna happen. And I thought like Honey Marin, I thought they're gonna like amp up more that Honey Marin was like the daughter of the North Uldra tribe. I don't know. I thought we'd see more of the North Uldra. Anyway, I just thought she'd be in the movie a little bit more and she wasn't, but she's like fine. She's like, she serves her purpose. Yeah, she serves her purpose. But also I feel like a lot of her role kind of dives into that queer baiting pool because disney can quote unquote answer our question answer our demands without directly saying anything about it yeah and especially they knew like if they were gonna give if they were gonna pair a character like a princess type character with elsa like they knew people would see like see it as a potential like suitor for her you know what i mean yeah there's no way they developed honey marin and, and never it never crossed their mind, their mind that it exactly and even their interaction together 
They mm. didn't have to interact. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, they didn't. But they did. They did. And like honestly in Frozen 3 or I I I don't really want a Frozen 3, but in future <laughs> Frozen material whatever we get, um I really think like they should just like give it to us. It doesn't have to be a main part of Elsa's story because like personally, I don't need it to be a huge part of her arc because I feel like Elsa's story is more about, you know, like her self-acceptance and stuff like that. But I feel like at this point, just like it needs to be acknowledged. You know what I mean? It's like essentially canon. <laughs> exactly. But again, they have markets that they need to impress. And, and the two biggest movie markets in the world don't really have, have they have audience members that will not want to really counter against it. Okay, so now moving into one of our more recent examples and one of the examples that kind of inspired us doing this podcast anyways, but our girl Raya and Namari. Now, Raya and Namari, that is in your face gay couple. Like they're flirting from the time they were children. It's not subtext. Like (laughs) it's not subtext at all. Um, even Kelly Marie Tran has said her own piece on it. Yep, Rye is gay, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, she said that she, like, when she recorded the line, she recorded it with the mindset that her and Namari were romantic interests. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the, and that's exactly the air and the essence. Oh, I love it. Because it just makes sense. It's like in the tone of their voice and how they interact with each other and mm-hmm. and all of that. Like you don't even, they don't ever have to say anything. And the reason why I like Rye and the Last Dragon is because there's obviously a romantic connection and so much tension between the two characters. So much. There's so much content and fulfillment there between the two. And they don't explicitly say it, which is great steps. But I think what audience members want is for Disney to hold accountability and wholeheartedly say with their chest that this you are being represented. This is a gay character. Yeah, I feel like Raya, I was watching it through the through the lens that they were a couple and you were too. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. And they should have just I was rooting for it. (laughs) I feel like it would have ended. I feel like they could have like added an extra like 15 minutes giving us a good like epilogue or something and like just like did it you know what i mean holding hands literally that they could have done that they could have done something yeah but yeah, it's like it's so there it's so there there's so much so much namari is raya's hans except not as evil i mean debatable maybe hans is redeemable hans well, and the fact that it's like, you know, they met. Why and are we it was comparing like, Namari to Hans? Okay, hear me out, hear me out. Side tangent, okay? So, like, Anna and Raya, they meet, like, this royal member from another kingdom at this gathering in their kingdom. Okay. And then they, like, kind of go on, like, a little date together. And they're like, oh, whatever, cute. And then, like, sure, like... You know, Namari doesn't propose to Raya, but then, like, she turns on Raya, and then Hans eventually turns on Anna. I guess. And they're bad guys. I guess, but the big difference is... I'm not saying... It's a slight similarity. Yeah, I know. But the reason why I think it doesn't necessarily click is because of, like... The timestamps at which these things are happening. Like, I mean, yeah. Anna meets Hans and all this stuff happens like rapid. 
Raya meets Namari first of all when they're kids, and then years grow by, they both grow up, live life, and do stuff, and then they reconvene, and then. So have they not seen each other since that day? Like no, since- they have not. The first time they saw each other since that day was in Tail. Oh, okay. Yeah. When they, I'm just gonna say when, because I feel like it's just a matter of time. When they give us a Raya follow up in whatever form that is, like we need Ryan and Amari to be together. And they're gonna do, they're super, they're gonna do bestie vibes. I know they're gonna do bestie vibes. Mm-hmm. If it's like, I'm thinking like if it's a short or something, maybe Kelly Marie Tran will keep, will keep to um, genuine to her, her character. And I wonder if she got like, um, I wonder if like PR maybe got mad at her or something for saying that. Cause she's the only one that really like said anything. No one else commented on it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad she said it. Like, that's amazing. And yeah. And made me love her even more. Exactly. Um, right? Yeah. It definitely like, gives like, a lot more credit when, you know, the actual actress herself can mm-hmm. say that. I created and fostered this character as a love interest to this other woman. Does it really matter what Disney says? Yeah, like, unlike Elsa, I mean, like, I know I said Elsa's canon, basically, in my head, but I feel like Raya's, like, indisputably, like, gay. Yeah. Like, because the, the vocal work is there, like you were saying before. Like, it's, like, the intent in her voice is there. Like, we all Exactly. The flirting, the lines. Like, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not even just delivery, it's the lines. Yeah. It's, it's insane. The banter, the, like, we all wish for banter like that. Mm-hmm. Are, you, <laughs> are you kidding me? Right? <laughs> And when they're fighting and just the way they're looking at each other. Yeah, like the, the they're, like, they're and, all so turned on by each other while they're yeah. fighting. It's insane. Raya's like, punch me, Namari. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't. Oh. Anyways, before this gets uh, into an R-rated podcast. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> now moving on to Luca and Alberto. This is one that I feel like really cemented the idea that we should do a queer rating, queer coding podcast. Yeah. So after we watched Luca, it was really funny because the the next day, literally like the first thing that Brayden said to me was like, did you pick up any like queer context? And then all of a sudden that shit was everywhere. Like everyone was picking up on that queer, queer baiting context behind everything. And then when you go back and really watch the film, like... So, like, to lay it out, like, you know, Luca is is very much like an Ariel. Like, he's from a yeah. world where he wants to go to a new world. And um, in this case, he changes, but he changes very dramatically when he goes to the new world, you know? Um, so he's, like, has a secret he has to hide. Um, and then, you know, him and Alberto, they have a very convincing youthful like innocent obviously homosexual relationship like it's like there it's so there the lip bite and see that's the other thing is like this kind of goes into the whole haze code where it's you know when 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 children are involved that people don't want to involve homosexual relationships on screen because they're seen as more sexual and this is just you know i'm just regurgitating what people say um but it's like the, the, you know they're kids obviously and they're 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 it's going to be a very innocent relationship but they can still it, like it still can be a same sex relationship you exactly. Know what I mean? so exactly so like maybe me We've, saying it's a homosexual relationship like it's not sexual obviously that doesn't sexualize anything it's yeah. the same we've seen so many shows and kid uh, sh- uh shows and, and movies about uh, little girls and boys 
right? being together and being in relationships. Like my girl, little girl, little boy. Mm-hmm. Aren't they like eight? <laughs> yeah. They're even younger than Luca and Alberto. But it just goes to show you like the double standards. You know exactly. I mean? um, but yeah, it's so interesting. And even especially like there's the with the uncle and the mom wanting to send Luca to this like terrible place and like you know she's kind of reluctant yeah. but it's for his own good and you know it's kind of giving me like you know yeah i even saw on tiktok that uncle what's his name ugo uncle ugo is a trans fish oh i saw that too yeah yes. because only only females have that like light thing mm-hmm. that he has I love that. I know. And I don't know if... I really don't know if Pixar did this intentionally, but like... I don't think so. (laughs) But the way... Or are we all just like reading into it too much? Maybe. But just the way that it all like welds together really nicely, like whether it's intentional or not, it's just kind of like... It was like a beautiful creation that was birthed at the right time mm-hmm. it even came out during june right the thing is i'm like they're ma- so okay to get a little more deeper into this the director of luca he was asked because in trailers and stuff people brought it up they're like it looks very like call me by your name like you yeah know, like a european summer and like curly haired like kid and whatever <laughs> but he said in an interview he's like no it's not like it's like prepubescent which goes into our whole discussion we had earlier about people seeing like you know same-sex relationships as only sexual relationships but they can be innocent for children as well and the thing is like i feel like it's there and it's just so there in the context and in the writing at the end of the film when luca's grandmother she's like some people will never accept him but some will and he knows how to choose the good ones yes that was just like oh my god and like even even at the end when Luca and Alberto get like accepted for being sea monsters, mm-hmm. and and the the uh, old the lady sea monsters like reveal themselves. Oh yeah, they're they're like the the theories that they're a lesbian couple that they're also like showing that they can now feel like okay the young people are now being accepted like I can now feel accepted myself and like it's there. It's so there. Like it's just, it's too there. Mm-hmm. Too there. And it came out on Pride Month. Like, it's, like, all these things, like, you couldn't, like, obviously people would read, you know what I mean? Like, people would read into it and see this. I like to look at it as as stepping stones because I feel like a lot of people, especially, like, people I've seen on TikTok and stuff, it's just, like, it's just, like, known that it's, like, yeah, like, these characters are gay. They're just, like, not allowed to be gay, but they're, like, they're gay. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's hopefully stepping stones to getting to the point where it's 100% official with, like, you know, forthcoming films, but. Yeah. It is frustrating. There's a whole, like, list of characters that are, like, unofficially gay in Disney. Like... We definitely miss some, but we... Yeah. There's, yeah, like, so like, many. Like, TikTok's got you for that. <laughs> yeah. So, just a couple more characters that, you know, we have seen um, recently with the queer baiting in Disney. Um, these are more, like, blink and you miss it characters because they kind of, like... They kind of get like splash moments of representation and they dip. And then Disney wants to kind of like promote that as a little bit of like 
us being inclusive and then it just disappears yeah you see like a news article comes out like the week the movie's coming out yeah and then it's like we have a gay character and then you watch the movie and you're like where was it exactly (laughs) exactly so the first example that we got of that was lefou that was everywhere that was when i was still using facebook back in like (laughs) 2015 that those articles were everywhere man (laughs) yeah and i remember you know everyone was kind of anticipating like how was that going to be shown really in the film and like like it's there but like it was just like it was two seconds it was so like forced that it just like it didn't come off authentic and then it just kind of like seemed like a joke almost like they were making fun of it so like it wasn't that great it was like two seconds of him dancing with his hand like on someone's on like this guy's waist and it was like the character i don't even remember sorry i haven't seen this 2017 movie in a minute but yeah yeah it's just not at all really what we were expecting considering the big fuss that disney was making about it mm-hmm. and then circling back to like the prequel series that they're making on disney plus it's like they made all this fuss of this character and now like if they don't deliver if they don't anything, deliver like what what was all that fuss about right like they're like i don't want this series to begin with so at least give me like representation like exactly <laughs> exactly know? so then now eyes are really going to be on Disney. Like how, what are you going to do with the mm-hmm. character? And how are you going to build his relationship with Gaston? Or if not with Gaston, with other males. Yeah. And like, will it be like, an, like, you know what I mean? And then we get into the point of like, what will the relationships be like? And like, what will we see? And yeah. Yeah. If that's even the road they're going to go down. Probably not, unfortunately. But you know, we'll prove me wrong, Disney. I'd love to see it. So. We'll see. So this example I'm actually kind of passionate about for some reason. But like yeah. like I don't know, I just feel like ever since it it we kind of got the announcement for this character, it just it did not make sense when I saw the representation in the film. So onward, the police officer. Mm. Literally like maybe 3-4 days before the film comes out, there's a huge like articles spread everywhere about there being a a gay police officer character in Onward all that jazz so first of all big issue um she is like this big monster like grotesque looking thing and Mm -hmm. everyone else in everyone else in the main cast is like a cute little troll or like a little goblin or like they're more like human fairy yeah they're all like humanoid and like lighter pastel colored and like that kind of thing but she like not only that she's a lot more like manly you know she's got like like a tougher like position and she's got like more like all these masculine qualities and then so that's first of all how they've chosen to represent this gay character that they are plastering everywhere and then how how do they show that she's a gay character she picks she answers her phone or she picks up her phone or or she says something about a girlfriend back home some i don't know yeah it's like a throwaway line yeah Yeah, it was a throwaway line like and then that was it and, and that then, was for is essentially them being like there was absolutely <laughs> zero purpose for that character to deliver that line. Mm-hmm. So 
And that's the thing. Like, no script should ever have throwaway lines. Every single line needs to have a purpose Mm -hmm. in some conversation and to help build plot, to help do something. And the fact that the reason that that line was in the film was to say, this is a gay character that I can now promote a couple days before the film. Like, oh, shit, we like as if we didn't have this character thought of how long ago you want to promote it now. Like, you just remember that you had this gay character all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just... mm, the pieces don't click for me and it it it's and it wasn't even a main character either at like she had like a scene she was like far down the list <laughs> yeah the next example is one i'm also very passionate about um and this one contains i mean this is all spoilers but this is a more recent film so spoiler warning um jungle cruise so um in the film Uh, We got Dwayne Johnson, we got Emily Blunt. So Dwayne Johnson's like our jungle skipper. Emily Blunt, she's like from England and she's like an explorer and she wants to find this magical plant. And then she brings along her brother and his name is McGregor, okay? And McGregor is like, you know, he has like a billion suitcases because he has so much stuff and he, you know, changes his jackets every five seconds. And, you know, he is very, like, timid and he doesn't like danger and he's not, like, as, like, upfront and, like, I got you, you know, like his sister is. And then there's a conversation they have, which is when um, McGregor is talking to Dwayne Johnson and he says that people at home didn't um, understand who he loved. And it's just the way, so it was, this, it was essentially this whole, this whole monologue about him saying that his family sort of disowned him and the only person that stood by him was his sister, Emily Blunt. Um, and like, that's what he, like why he owes so much to her and stuff. But they go as far as they can trying to say it without saying it. So they like, they never say it, you know what I mean? Because it's, they're trying to keep it vague so it can just like wash over someone's head. Yeah. And that frustrated me, and especially like th- this is with most of these characters, is that it's it's a character played by a sh- like a straight actor as well. Mm-hmm. So it's and and like I've seen other portrayals better than others, but it's it's like representation, but is it representation? Not really. It's like there's so many um, there's so many LGBTQIA plus members. Um, actors and so actresses many. out there that like so want these many. roles, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, that would, would kill. do that would do the representation that would better execute these roles mm-hmm. because they live these lives. And like, like Disney, you're probably not listening to this, but what we want going into our what we think is next for Disney, like what we want is we don't want like side characters and throwaway lines and like f- monster characters who happen to be like, like what we are want, we supposed to do with that? Yeah, nothing. That's nothing that we we want to be represented in these films. You know what I mean? Like and just like how any minority would want to be represented, in, exactly. or any marginalized person would want to be represented. Um, you know, we want to see characters that look like us on screen and that like we can relate to. And like one of the biggest things for me is like why Aladdin is one of my favorite, like is my favorite Disney animated film is growing up. It's like, it was one of the few Disney animated films I felt that kind of like fit into that like magical musical vibe, but was from like the male perspective and he was vulnerable and he was open and like he showed his feelings and stuff and you like never really see that. Um, and so like, that's why I'm like, I would love to see another film like that with like, you know, like openly queer representation because it's so important to, um, to have it, you know? Yeah. And if you don't think representation is important, it's probably because you already have it. It's, 
gonna be interesting to see like what disney is going to do moving forward as we've seen with raya and then now with luca like they're or even from elsa to raya to luca like they're inching closer and closer Mm -hmm. to just being saying right out you know like at least you know there were these you know throwaways that we despise and these side characters that really don't add anything to the representation that we deserve but you know with at least raya and luca like at least we're seeing relationships build and we're seeing the authenticity and the genuinity of these two same-sex couples loving each other Mm -hmm. so at least hopefully the next step for disney is to just give us a little finger lockeroo you know yeah (laughs) something something to just like solidify that like yeah there are some shorts and stuff on disney plus and there's been little things here and there but that's not the same that's not the big screen that's not where the influence is and where like society pulls from Mm -hmm. so yeah like they they definitely been making progress like and on disney channel like owl house um they have like an openly gay character which is awesome um the main character loses in a relationship what's her name amity i think i finished season one y'all i i'm waiting for season two to come on disney plus um so then that kind of adds into it like great that we're getting these characters but they're on disney plus you know mm -hmm. now we gotta see them not on disney plus it, it means We've, something. Disney Plus yeah. has proved that Disney can be a little bit more experimental on that, that they're definitely catering to more audiences now than when they first started out. So they can put anything on it now. They can create things and, and it'd be a little bit more discreet. But on the big screen, that's everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that is the next step. It's it's sort of the same situation with like um it's like sort of you know like Elena of Avalor and the fact that like she means a lot to so many people like because she's like the only Latina princess but because she was released as like a Disney Junior show like we yeah. a lot of people don't really like know that character or relate to that character and it, it's not the same yeah. you know what I mean it's not the same as having like someone like Mulan or Raya or Moana um, or Tiana or you know what I mean I'm really curious to see what the first openly queer Disney like animated feature film character is and especially like if that's a princess if it's a princess protagonist of any form yeah protagonist um if it's gonna be a new character completely or if they're gonna like you know give elsa or give raya some representation or i don't know who knows what's gonna happen now now that's another thing to like think about like how do we feel about you know um not even just disney but like other studios going back and now like claiming that characters have been gay this whole time um, so like famous think, examples, Mr. Ratburn, I think somebody, Spongebob, Spongebob. Mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling with Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Yeah. yeah. Another famous example. I think because... And do we want, do we accept if Disney tries to pull that stunt? I think it's one thing if Disney pulls that stunt and doesn't show the representation. So if they... If they come out in, in like, Raya 2, or if they come out in, like, Frozen 3 or whatever, and they say, oh, yeah, Elsa had, like, a girlfriend, or Elsa and Honeymare, and, like, we're together, and whatever, and they just tell us, and they don't show it to us, that's the difference, I think. Because if we see the relationship with them, that's important, but if they just kind of, like, say it, and then, like, we don't see it, 
I just feel like it takes away the credibility of the situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I don't think we should be going back and like retconning it. That's not really, we deserve like, you know, fresh new representation as well. I'd love to see the first like queer Disney princess be, yeah, like the like new character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a, just a nice, solid, like fully developed character with that intent. It, it will have to be. What, that's what it deserves. Yeah, and it has to be made by those people as well. Like exactly. It has to be, like it has to be come from like a, a, a. It can't be made by a bunch of like straight people. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And the other thing too, I wanted to mention on because I touched on like Andreas Deja, um, a lot on Howard Ashman, but there's definitely like with computer animation now, like the animation process is so different, and there's so many animators that work at Disney. Like I'm sure there's there's bound to be a lot of openly gay animators and all whole bunch of lgbtqia plus staff members so they probably have like a big influence oh yeah disney probably gatekeeps but i'm sure like <laughs> the, the studio i'm for, i'm sure and i i really have high hopes for jennifer lee who's like taking charge and and she's really doing like a lot to um, give like women a bigger voice in the studio yeah um, and i'm hoping she'll give you know like queer women and women of color and just like all the representation. All the representation. And done in like a good way and like an organic way, not like a pandering way. Yes. That's the key. Do you think another studio will be Disney to it though? Do you think like Yes. Yeah. Because I think Disney has more eyes on it. And Disney has more of a image that they try to uphold. Or not that I think that they don't hold the ability to, you know, be the first studio to really make that step. But I think that it would really be a leap for them. And it would be a lot more impressive if they did it first Mm -hmm. compared to other studios. And I think that they should because that would really, I think other studios would now follow them. Like Disney is like, honestly, the leader. Like if Disney pulls the trigger, like it's done. Yeah. That's just where it is now. So they just, they should. And it could really like, yeah, it will, it could help. To, like, like as market leaders, it's almost their responsibility. Mm-hmm. They honestly, to yeah, cater they're, they're to these the people pioneers. That are literally making you content. I'll be curious to see in terms of just like Disney overall, like theatrical Disney, um, where we see it like will it be disney will it be pixar will it be marvel will it be star wars and also i said before i was gonna talk about star wars and i totally forgot but that kiss at the end of um star wars rise of skywalker so like the representation is like this kiss in the background with these like two characters who like they've been like you know like constants throughout the film but they're background characters and they're like two women kissing and it's like cool but like that's like it's like us it's like a pan and you like see them for a few seconds and they're not even like front and it's frame. like and then the thing is like it's when when studios like kind of do stuff like that it's like well what are you like what are you doing that for like to like is it like an easter egg mm-hmm. that's not authentic mm-hmm. that's not genuine that's not a part of the plot it has nothing to do with the story yeah so why are you showing that to me now like that was just as useless as having no representation mm-hmm I have to squint to like see two people that look like me, like yeah, in the like, back, like literally, frame it on my wall. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that's it for our discussion on queer baiting and queer coding in Disney. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did talking about it. Please be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Apple. And Spotify. Spotify. Follow us on Instagram. Instagram. And Twitter. Twitter. At Spill and Diz Tea. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with us on today's episode, please be sure to shoot us an email at Podcast at gmail.com. Be sure to rate us and leave us a review. It really helps us out and share this with all your friends and Disney fanatics. It's totally free. You can also reach us individually. Myself at Sakura MJ on Instagram and Twitter. And you can reach me at Braden Rosman on Instagram and at Braden C. Rosman on Twitter. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, play, play us out, Zach. Zach.